Welcome back to Life's Key 3. Today we are picking up with the Gospel of John, Chapter 7. And what are we going to pick up from this? Well, there are three key insights I'm going to share with, with you at the end. They have to do with the importance of remembrance, how you handle people who are close to you and who may not believe in you, and divine direction, divine appointments in daily life. How do you define a successful life? If your answer can be summarized as earthly excellence and sacred significance, you're at the right place. Join host Stephanie Smith as she shares three keys unlocking a life of lasting purpose. Learn yourself, love God, and live connected. You'll become smarter about yourself, skilled in human dynamics, savvy about the Christian faith, and strengthened to pass this wisdom on to upcoming generations. And now, let's get started. Chapter 7 opens, and Jesus is traveling in Galilee and not in Judea because the Jewish leaders in Judea were seeking to kill him. So this was shortly after the feeding of the 5,000, which we talked about last time, and that took place in the region of Galilee. Now, let me just give you a little bit of geography because this is important to understand. So at the north end of ancient Israel, there was the region of Galilee. And then to the south, there was the area of Samaria, and even further south was the area of Judea. And Judea had the city of Jerusalem, the nation's political and religious capital there, as well as Bethlehem and many other major cities. Galilee was considered by those in Judea, and especially those in Jerusalem, as a hick place, a backwater region. It was definitely not the place to be. And so Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, which fulfilled the prophecies about his birth. But his family took him back. Remember when they came back from Egypt? And he was raised in Nazareth, which was a small town in the region of Galilee. Jesus did not come from impressive geographical roots. When Jesus had last been in Judea and in Jerusalem, that is when he had healed the man who had been lame and was laying by the pool, and yes, he healed this man on the Sabbath day. Jesus knows that this has totally ticked off the authorities, and they don't just want him to uh, go silent. They want him to go silent by they have they're already thinking of ways that they're going to be able to silence him permanently by killing him. This wasn't a decree that they had made a public announcement about, but Jesus definitely knew that this was their desire and motivation. So he is spending time in Galilee, meeting people there, ministering to people there. It comes that time of the year when it was time for the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. There were festivals and feasts and commemorations that God had established in throughout the Old Testament. And there were three specific occasions where God had said during these feasts and festivals and occasions, the, the people and the, especially the men were singled out for this. 
they would have to present themselves physically to God at a place that he would designate. When many of these festivals were first instituted, it was in the very early parts of the founding of the Jewish nation, specifically after they had left Egypt, and it wasn't just a large family tribe anymore, it was actually a nation. And so the places for that had changed over time. By the time of Christ, the designated place would have been Jerusalem. This is where the temple was. This is where the, the holy of holy was within, within that temple. This represented God's presence on the planet. That doesn't mean that that's the only place that God was present on the planet. But it was a physical spot that gave people the association with God. And so this, it was time for the Feast of Booze or the Feast of Tabernacles. This was also a time, uh, so this, this came at a time of year where it was both an agricultural festival when people were supposed to celebrate God's blessing upon them and their ability to engage in farming and agriculture and to produce food, which, yeah, that's kind of a necessary thing in human existence. Well, why, why call it the Feast of Booze or the Feast of Tabernacles? It wasn't just an agricultural celebration. It was that, but it was more than that. It was not an either or, it was an and and. It was designed so that people would remember that God had provided for them in the present and in the past. He had provided for their very needs physically. Specifically, the reason for the booze is because it was a time when the, the Jewish people were to remember the, the 40 years of wandering around in the wilderness where they did not have permanent homes, they didn't build houses, they, they literally were on a camping expedition for 40 years, moving from place to place, living as, as nomads, really. And so they were to construct these booths. And for a period of eight days, they were supposed to go and to live in those temporary structures. It was a physical reminder and experience that took them back, that caused them to remember, hey, we, our ancestors, they didn't just do this for eight days. They lived for 40 years. And even then, we have permanent homes to go back to. They didn't even have that. They were moving from place to place. Again, it was like a 40-year camping expedition. So for eight days, people were to build these temporary structures, and they were to live in them. And it wasn't a time of destitution. It wasn't a time of shaming. It was a time of celebration. As a matter of fact, if you go back to Exodus chapter 23 and Leviticus chapter 23, which really details this festival, then it's very clear that this was that God said, I want you to celebrate. I want you to remember and to rejoice. This isn't, this isn't a time I want you to look back and, and think of why your ancestors were wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years, which was because they hadn't believed God in the first place. Rather, it was, I want you to go back and look at what I did and how I protected and provided for you for all those years. 
And that can give us hope because God could have said, hey, I want you to have this this feast of booths, and I want you to look back and remember why your ancestors were wandering around in that wilderness for 40 years to begin with. Do you all remember that? It's because you didn't believe in my goodness and my faithfulness and my ability and willingness to provide for you. That's not what God chooses to focus people's attention on when they look back to that. It was to say, hey, we want to focus instead on how God protected and provided for us in miraculous ways during that 40-year extended camping trip. Part of that process of building those booths, and this does go back to the original times that this was talked about, was for people to cover their booths with, with some plants. Now, by the time of Christ, it had become customary, although people weren't obligated to use these specific varieties, but it had become customary that there were four particular varieties of trees and and plants that were used. And this was um, citron. Now, citron is a very fragrant wood when it is burnt, and it was, it's a type of cypress tree. So it releases a very sweet, pleasant fragrance when it is burnt. Another tree, which had become customary, was a palm tree. And so these grew all over the region of Galilee and Samaria and Judea. And palm is often used as a symbol of victory. And of course, we celebrate Palm Sunday. And But this was also another time when people would gather the palms to, to lay over those booths. Another tree that was used was the myrtle. Myrtle trees were sometimes used as symbols of prosperity, of abundance, of blessing, of provision. And this is referenced in the book of Nehemiah, Isaiah, and Zechariah, all in a very positive way. And then lastly, what we have is a willow tree. And so they use branches from the willow trees. Willows are trees that grow along streams of water, water that flows, water that moves, and it can be very representative of life. It's a a life-giving plant. It's planted in a place that brings and carries life to it. Again, it wasn't a matter that God had initially said, you have to use branches from these four trees and no other trees. That wasn't it. It's just that by the time of Christ, those four trees had become the customary trees that were used. Other things about this feast that are important to know is that it lasted for eight days. This wasn't a one-day celebration. This was an eight-day feast and festival. The opening day and the last day were also supposed to be used as Sabbath days. So these were days of rest when people did not do their ordinary work. Now, that opening and ending day of rest was something that God had established as part of this institution. There were two other customs which had not been clearly established, but they had become part of this this festival by the time of Christ. One of those was that there would be these giant, there were these giant golden lampstands that stood in the courtyard of the temple. 
And people would come to these lampstands and they would light torches and then they would carry these torches around the walls of the temple and they would hang them on the walls of the temple. And what these lights represented was the fact that someday the Messiah would come and he would be a light not only to the Jews, but he would be a light to the Gentiles. Now, it didn't necessarily mean that everybody thought, oh, that means he's going to be a salvation to all of the Gentiles. It was more like it was going to be a proclamation that, hey, our Messiah is here and has shown up. Another part of this festival that had become a custom, a very important custom, was that there would be a um, water that would be carried from the pool at Siloam to the temple symbolizing that when the Messiah came, the whole earth would know God as much as the waters cover the sea. So think about that first lighting of the torches as kind of like what we we still do today when they're in the opening ceremonies of the Olympics where a giant torch is lit and it stays lit until the closing of those ceremonies. It was something a little similar to that, although it had far greater significance than what we have every, every couple of years for the Olympic Games. And how do the waters cover the sea? Well, they're thorough, they're deep, they're, they're in a sense inexhaustible. They are there and available for everyone. The, the magnanimity of that is, is uncontainable. And so these were parts of this this process of uh, customs in in this festival. And we're going to talk a little bit more. I'm pointing that out because we're going we're gonna to look at that later and how that ties into some things that Jesus said when he came up to this feast. But before we get there, we have to go and look at the opening chapter of the Gospel of John chapter 7. Jesus' brothers are getting ready to go up to Judea, up to Jerusalem to this feast because, again, part of this feast was telling all of the men, you need to come to the designated place, and at that time, it would have been the temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus' brothers say to him, I'm totally paraphrasing here, but it's, it's accurate to the, the, the meaning of what they were saying, even though I'm not using the exact language. And it's basically this, hey, Jesus, guess what? Uh, Why don't you head on up to Judea? I mean, you want to be famous. Here's your chance. They were very mocking of him. They weren't saying, hey, Jesus, we want you to come and go with us. This wasn't a sibling invitation. This was a mocking. He had been doing enough miracles, but they still did not believe in him as anything other than this brother. And what does he think he's doing, especially as the firstborn in the family who had a very defined role to fulfill in this culture? And he didn't seem to be on board with this in the way that they thought he should be carrying on as the eldest son. Jerusalem was going to be filled with people coming in for this feast. So it's like, hey, here's your chance to go viral. Here's your chance to show up and do all your fancy smancy miracles and have everybody follow you. So again, they're, they're mocking him. Jesus responds by telling them that they could go on, 
but it wasn't yet his time. You see, Jesus was very much attuned to God's divine direction in his life, even to the specific day that he should go to the festival. Jesus' brothers weren't attuned to God's divine direction in their lives. So what, what can we take away from this passage? I think there are three specific things that we can look at. The first is we need practices of remembrance. I, the timing of this has, has been very meaningful to me because just this past weekend, I spent a very precious weekend away with some friends that I've had for many, many years now. And one of the topics of conversation that came up, and I, I didn't even bring it up, someone else brought this up, but it was something that resonated with all of us. And it was the importance of having specific intentional practices of remembrance. And I feel kind of sad sometimes that in our culture that we don't have more of those. I mean, okay, yes, I know that if you get online and if you look at the calendar, there's a day for everything. There's Groundhog Day. There's chocolate, probably pie day. I mean, there's a day for everything. But in terms of having cultural-wide, of having remembrance practices on, on, a, on a, um, a, a significant level that everybody follows. We don't have too many. We have some here in the States. We have July 4th. Depending, and this isn't even something for everybody, but Christmas still tends to be recognized, even if not for its, its true purpose. It's still recognized as a cultural event. We have New Year's Day. And although we have different state and federal holidays, those can get celebrated and seen and interpreted very, very differently. But in the time of Christ, the calendar year, you couldn't go more than three months without a major event that had a specific component of remembrance. So there were several different feasts and festivals and occasions that people had been commanded by God to observe. These weren't small little uh, minor uh, events that just required you to take the day off. Many of these were days-long events, and they had specific um, application, they had specific practices, and they all had one common theme and that was remember. Remember when I brought you up out of Egypt. Remember when I protected and provided you for that 40 years of that extended camping time in the wilderness. Remember when I gave you the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, and, and you're this brand new infant nation that's wandered out of nowhere. You've never had to have a a national government before. You have nothing to go on except what you've experienced in Egypt, and that's not going to be a good system to duplicate. So rather than just leaving you out there to figure it out for yourself, I'm going to give you these commandments. I'm going to give you a system of government that is going to work for you. I'm going to give you a moral code so you're not just left to try to hopefully somehow figure it out by trial and error. Remember, there is also a judgment day coming and that 
your name will or won't be written in the book of life. Another festival that really focused on remember that God always provides a way for redemption, forgiveness, and restoration with him. And then remember when God protected his people from genocide during the reign of Xerxes or Hasserus. You couldn't go for more than three months without having one of these major, often multi-day events to basically kind of interrupt your life, as it were, with a specific call to remember what has been done for you. I think one of the most powerful lines in a movie comes from the original Lion King. And Simba is, is far away. And he, he looks up in the, the sky and he hears that immortal line, remember who you are. And it is incredibly important for us to remember who we are and to remember whose we are and who God is. God didn't just establish these festivals because he was bored and went, you know, hmm, uh, what? What could I have people do? He didn't just establish these because it it was like he needed some divine excuse to have people's attention centered on him. He's not egotistical. He gave these festivals and these occasions to us because we as human beings, it is so important and necessary for us to be intentional with what we remember and how we refocus our lives and our mind. So how can you implicate that? Uh, Not implicate that. How can you initiate that, implement that in your own life? That might be setting aside specific days for yourself. Those might be on a regular basis every week. That might be setting aside a certain portion of time. It might be setting aside a weekend. It might be a gratitude journal where you simply write down on a daily basis or on some sort of regular basis, the things in your life that you can say, ah, this is a prayer that was answered. This is a way that God provided for me. This is something, a way that God provided for somebody else. And I'm going to be intentional to remember God's goodness and faithfulness to me. So I encourage you, find some ways that you can implement this important practice of intentional remembering in your life. Two other points that we can take away from this, and I'm going to try to go through these a little quickly. Secondly is don't expect everybody close to you to affirm your ministry, your calling, or your character. You know, sometimes if we're too close to someone, we actually lose the ability to see them accurately. It's not proximity to someone that allows us to really know them. It's being attuned to what's going on in our heart and what's going on in their life. Jesus' brothers were not looking for the Messiah to come from within their own family. Their closed hearts led to closed eyes. They couldn't see the truth that was smack in front of them. So if Jesus' own brothers didn't recognize him as God's son, or at the very least, 
a prophet following God's leading, we shouldn't be too shocked when people close to us make wrong judgments about us. Like all truths, this one has a corollary on the opposite side. It's not a contradiction. It's a corollary because all of life gets lived on a tension, um, a tension um, like, like a high wire. That's what keeps us balanced. So the corollary to this is that we don't just get to go through life saying, well, it doesn't matter what anybody says about me or what anybody thinks about me. We do need to be paying attention to that. So we don't want to just wave off opinions or like, well, we somehow don't have to be examined by ourselves or anybody else. But that's not what's going on here with Jesus. His own family doesn't even believe that he's God's son or that he's even able to hear from God as to the direction of his daily life. And that leads us to the third point. Keep your eyes open for God's leading in your everyday, daily life. Jesus' brothers could go up to the feast on any day that they wanted to because they weren't looking for God's divine direction in their life. But what day that Jesus arrived mattered. And whether he arrived in a public way or whether he arrived in a very private or and in a very private way, that mattered as well. Well, certainly people can get carried away with divine direction thinking when it comes to their calendar. And these can be people who think that God is going to tell you what time you need to brush your teeth and what kind of meal you should have. And people can get kind of absurd and ridiculous about that. But again, there, there's, there are these two corollary truths. And the truth is that most of our life, God expects us to function using the universal grace, which we also call common sense, that he has given to us. And so I don't need to say every night, God, what time should I set my alarm for in the morning? There's some common sense, some universal grace that he's already given that I can use to make those decisions. But that doesn't mean that there are never times that we don't need to be attuned and aware and looking for when God might be saying there is a specific day and time and way and place that I need you and want you to act. You know, it was interesting. Like I said, this girls weekend that I was so delighted and privileged to be a part of uh, recently. And one of one of my friends shared this story of having a hiring need. And the, the time for needing to have this position filled is getting very, very close. And she called a person to ask if they might be interested in stepping into this role that, that she needed to fulfill. And the person said to her, if you would have called me yesterday, the answer would have been no. But today, the answer is yes. God does sometimes want to lead us in divine direction with our calendar, even down to the days and times that we take steps. All right. Well, we haven't even made it through all of John chapter seven with that. It's just such a rich chapter. And I encourage you to go back and read it for yourself and ask ask the Holy Spirit for his insight and what you can see and how you can apply this in your own life. 
If you haven't already, hop over to the website stephaniepresents.com and sign up for the High Impact Newsletter. You're going to be able to have insights and encouragement, and you're going to be able to stay up to date and current with the links for this podcast and and other resources that that I have for you. So you haven't done that, make sure you hop on over, stephaniepresents.com, sign up for the High Impact Newsletter. And remember this, my friend, you have an impact that is immeasurable, eternal, and irreplaceable. And that is why it is so important that you commit to think deeply, live intentionally, and engage fully with God's grand story. All right, I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening. For information on speaking engagements and other resources, visit the website at stephaniepresents.com. Remember, learn yourself, love God, and live connected.